read in my notes. <laughs> That's funny. Oh my goodness, I'm my own worst enemy sometimes. So, um, all right, let's get started in God's word this morning. You know, we are at Titus 2 ministry, so everything we talk about has to do with becoming the women that God wants us to be. And today's lesson ties into just about every uh, Titus 2, 3 through 5 attribute. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, love husband, love children, being discreet, keepers at home. All that ties into this lesson. And, uh, you know, we've talked about parenting, we've talked about being a mom, but uh, today we're going to talk about boys. And uh, whether you're a mom of a boy, or you're married to a boy who became a man, <laughs> or you, and I don't mean that derogatory, your boy became a man, right? Um, he had a journey, or whether you're talking about, you know, just boys in the neighborhood. It's, boys are really important, and we've lost track of that in our society. But here's a couple little giggles to get you going. A boy is truth with dirt on his face. Beauty with a cut on its finger, wisdom with bubblegum in its hair, and the hope of the future with a frog in its pocket. <laughs> I like that one. A boy is the wildest of all animals, a noise with dirt on it, and most precious to their mothers. And a boy is the only thing that God can use to make a man. Love that one. It's kind of sweet. So uh, it kind of came to my mind. Uh, I get sent all kinds of stuff, you know, through study and stuff. And this book is um, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It, uh, The Boy Crisis. And War uh, Warren Farrell and John Gray wrote the book. And this, you'll recognize the author because he also wrote um, Men Are From Mars and Girls Are, you know, that one. Because Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Yeah. So it's... It's not necessarily a Christian book. There are Christian points in here. <clears throat> and it's a lot of research. So it kind of reminds me of Shanti Feldman's books in that it, you know, we're not bound to statistics, right? God is bigger than any statistics you're fighting or any situation you're in or any circumstance. But it it lends to, it lends to um, God's truth. You know, it, it proves God's, not that God's proof needs proving, God's word needs proving, but it accentuates the fact. So this book, I'm just going to tell you up front so I don't forget to tell you during the lesson. Um, anybody's ready to, well, um, you can borrow it. What I'm trying to say. And if you have a child who struggles with ADHD, there's an entire section in here about natural solutions. It's amazing. If um, you make the concern about a boy and suicide, there's also some good resources in here. <clears throat> So it's really a, <clears throat> a great resource. And then a book I have not actually read yet, but I, um, um, Jay, what's your number? Huh? Just tell me. One, one, two. Um, I won't have to ask anything. Um, oh my God, sorry. Um, just put on photos. Okay. Um, it's called something like, um, in my notes over there. Uh, Owen Strachan, Dr. Owen Strachan is, is the guy, but he's got a podcast. I'm going to send y'all a little resource thing. But his is much more biblical book than just about why we hate men, you know. And I think really 
as a society, we, we've come to hate men. Because why? Because society hates them. Because the war of men. War of men, thank you. And uh, thank you. More on more on men. And the more we fight authority, the more, the more we fight God's way, right? And how are we happy in life? Psalm 119, right? By walking in his way. His way. And so when we leave God's way behind, there are many, many consequences that we cannot see. So I, I just want to review just the first eight verses. We're actually not going to stick real hard to Psalm 119 this morning, but um, you will have some assignments at your second hour table to dig a little deeper. But starting at verse 1, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also don't do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Statutes. Then I would not be ashamed. When I look into your all your commandments, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. <clears throat> you can't forget verse 9, especially this morning. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. This is a heart of a man. This is a heart, this is these are the words not of a perfect man, but a sinful man like the rest of us. And I think we can all gain <clears throat> from David's uh, David's words. I wanted to um, read just a couple of verses. You know, when you read the Bible, it's written by men. And what do men use to convey God's word to us? They use work work illustrations. They use war illustrations. They use goal-setting illustrations. It's the way a man thinks. Just a couple of examples. Um, Proverbs 3.11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. Men know the need for discipline. And then uh, Joshua 1 9, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Men need that challenge. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And as women, we gain from the word too. But this is written from men's perspective and it speaks to all of our hearts. I know it wouldn't be the same if women wrote, men wouldn't be able to relate as we can relate to, you know, in God's perfect omniscience, who he chose to write the Bible. 1 Corinthians 16 13. Do not, let's see, <laughs> be on your guard, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. First Corinthians 15, 58 talks about stand firm. It's a challenge, isn't it? Challenging each other, challenge each other. I love this one, 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 12. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the fight of the faith. Of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life in which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So you just get that flavor of how men think, right? And how we talk and how they relate. <clears throat> Just gotta be patient in the notes, okay? Um, oops, jumped off. 
checked out which is more important. <clears throat> you have to come stand next to me. <laughs> Google photos. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So what happened? Um, you know, the other thing about the Bible is think about the men that are portrayed in the Bible. We have David, right? David fought the lion protected the sheep, became king, strong and courageous man. Daniel, thrown the lion's den for his beliefs. Stephen, stoned to death for his beliefs. And then like we just showed the writers, just how they relate, how their relationship with God is and how they relate to him. And then what happened? So then God also, you know, in the beginning, God created men and women differently. We are equal, but we have different roles. Men are lead, meant to be the leaders, the goal setters, the ones that are challenged, right? And we've tried to take that away from them. I don't think in the beginning of the women's movement that they really understood the consequences of where the whole thing was going. You know, in the beginning, it was just like, I want equal pay. You know, and I don't want to be stuck at home with the kids. They lost sight of what's important in life. And they tried to collapse that distinction of roles. And they've done a pretty good job, right? And a lot of men feel really invisible in that. They no longer feel needed. We're going to talk a lot about this this morning. They don't feel respected. And think about the, all the talk about, you know, oh, masculinity is so toxic. No, no, it's masculine. <laughs> That's it. It's masculine. It's what it's meant to be. And we've tried to make it a bad thing. So I'm not going to read your bunch of stats. If you're interested in stats, you're going to borrow my book because it's amazing. <clears throat> what has happened to our boys? as a result of not having dads. So I just want to read to you a couple things here about the benefits of having a dad or not. And like I said, we're going to dig deeper into this, but just off the cuff here. Kids who have a, a dad around, these are all from studies, they're all documented. Um, by third grade, Boys whose fathers were present scored higher on achievement tests and achieved higher grades. It doesn't mean that dad's sitting at home teaching them. It means that he's present and involved. The three R's. The more involved dad is, the greater a boy's increase in verbal intelligence. School dropouts. The more years children spend with no or minimal father involvement, the fewer years of school they this one's a hard one, suicide. There's a lot of information here about suicide. How much for men in their early 20s and men over 60, the suicide rate is five times what it is at men. And actually on the other end, the older end is much, much higher. Something like 1,600 times more men, uh, not men, but percentage-wise, commit suicide because they don't feel their purpose. Drugs, father involvement is at least five times more important in preventing drug use than closest to parents. Goes on and on, bullying, that's kind of closer to home, bullying. Kids who have their dads around are less likely to bully or be bullied. Without a dad, the children are much more susceptible to abuse. 
much more central to poverty. They have big trust issues and they are unable to empathize. <clears throat> we think dad is so aloof, but he's not. And we're gonna look at some of the ways he, he uh, relates to his children. First, I wanna talk about the four things that uh, they talk about that are, st are stacked against a boy. The first one is divorce. I'm the child of a divorced family. Some of you may be on your second or maybe even third marriages and we start where we are and go forward. None of us can fix what's happened behind. And you know, we have some really hard things. People, women have been abandoned or abused. And we're not talking about though, that level. <clears throat> we're talking about everyday, most of us kind of marriages, okay? So we lost our commitment to marriage. We have forgotten how to keep a vow. You know, what does that vow say? It says, I'm going to hold on to you no matter what goes on in our life. I'm going to hold on to you whether you're sick, whether I'm sick, whether we're poor or rich. Whatever happens in our life, I'm committed to you. I love you doesn't mean I feel like I love you every day. It means I am committed to a love relationship with you. Girls, you will not feel like you love your husbands every day. It's impossible. That came as a big surprise to me when I was young. I didn't know that. I knew nothing about uh, marriage relationships. So knowing that was a relief. <laughs> it's not just me. Okay, today I'm not crazy about it, but tomorrow we've got a day, you know? It's impossible to feel that, to keep that feeling at that level every day. But if love is a commitment, a God type love is a commitment. Once we're a believer, once we step into the um, house of God as a child through faith, God never lets us go. No matter what we do, God never lets us go. We are eternally secure as children of God. And our marriage is to be a picture of what God has provided for us in our relationship with him. And that is a forever commitment. Thank you. So, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I didn't know I was <clears throat> making so much noise. <laughs> The air is so dry. <clears throat> and, you know, divorce lost its stigma. When I was in school, I was the only one in my class whose parents were divorced. The only one. And now it's over 50%. In a classroom of kids, you look at a classroom of kids, over 50% of the parents' parents. The parents are divorced. <clears throat> so the stigma is gone. And I think really it's kind of created this circular thing, right? Because what happens to a child who's been through a divorce, they're more likely to divorce, right? And the boys and the girls are less likely to know how to treat each other, how to treat the opposite sex. So when they get married, it's a much harder relationship. So if you have a spouse who's been through a divorce himself or his parents were divorced, it may be that it's harder for him. You know, maybe he's maybe he's one of those who's just gonna not let that happen to his own family. But maybe he's one that doesn't realize how deeply that is ingrained in him. I never thought, I've told y'all this before, I don't want to bore you, but I've never thought that marriage is lasting. And I never I never saw it as a possibility. And I didn't know about what real love looked like. Thankfully, God brought me here. I had just been married maybe five years, maybe at the most. I walked in this door and Naomi changed my life. And we are very thankful as a family for the lessons that were taught here on how to love each other. 
that you have to know how many people around you are suffering and looking for this information and don't know how to love each other. So in all our wisdom, we decided, well, if we're going to divorce and marriage is so bad, let's live together. But as we know, living together doesn't work. It's a tire-kicking situation. I will stay with you as long as things aren't too hard and I can stand it, right? As long as I can stand it, I'll stay. The stats on children born to a couple living together is that by three years of age, 40% of the fathers are gone. 40% of those children have no father that's involved with them. It's gone. In 2009, we reached a marker. Half of all children born to mothers under 30 are out of them. These kids need dad. And honestly, they need their own dad. If that's not possible, stepdad can do a great job. Grandpa can really help. Pastors, you know, some Boy Scouts, maybe, <clears throat> depending on the leadership. But the best possible chance that your child has of succeeding in life is to have his dad. And moms, we are tough on those daddies. We expect a lot. Um, so divorce, living together. The next thing that really knocks a man is purpose void. Okay, if he doesn't understand, if society doesn't respect his um, place in the family, it's like, what? so what am I about, you know? Feels invisible. And it's become mom knows best, not dad knows best. We make terrible fun of men in every aspect commercials and TVs and sitcoms, dad's just an idiot. I know people, I have people in my life who talk like men just don't have a brain. I'm like, you're just wrong, you know? And honestly, I think I felt that way because I didn't realize the depth of a man's feelings. My dad wasn't around. I had no brothers. I didn't have men close to me that I understood the struggles that they have and the things they think about and the goals they have. I just thought pretty poorly of them. And there's a lot of women who feel that. Our men are designed, God has designed them to be the provider, the protector, and the priest of their family, the leader. And we've kicked them to the curb like you don't know a darn thing. We are going to pull this around. This is going to be about our own. We're going to pull this into our own home in just a minute. And then the ADHD thing is the fourth thing. You know, considering all boys with regular normal activity to be um, out of place. So we medicate them. We take away their recess. And, um, you know, we, and we don't train them. So you have a child, a boy, who's so full of energy. And, you know, our, our skills in training up a child in the way he should go and disciplining a child. We let go of those, too. You know, just let, let a kid have his own way. Well, you do that with a boy, and you're going to have a boy who's got a lot of energy, and he doesn't know how to direct it. And we consider that to be something wrong with him. But a lot of times, the wrong is here. You know, maybe we're not feeding them right. We're pumping them full of sugar. Not tell them what all we've done. But their energy and focus is, is misdirected. And honestly, the school setting is designed for girls. Girls love sitting at a table filling out little papers. Boys don't know what to do with their energy when they're stuck at a table for that many hours a day and no recess and no outlet. And so we're going to medicate. So 
So those are the, the four things that they consider as being really a taint to our boys. And the truth is God has designed mom and dad to work together. Or checks and balances for each other, right? Mom is merciful. She's nurturing. She's empathetic. It's just the way we're built. I'm guilty. That's just the way I'm, I'm built. And dad likes to challenge. Mom's going to reassure that kid every day, and dad's going to challenge that kid every day. And that is the way it's meant to be. Here's, here's an interesting thing for you. You may already know this. I had never heard this before. But when a couple has a baby, you know, we all know how much our hormones change, right? We're like, woo, you know, our hormones are just flooding in. That baby comes, just all these endorphins, and we just have this amazing affection for this child. Do you know that men's hormones change as well? They physically change. Testosterone comes down and estrogen goes up when a man has a baby, when, you know, when his wife has a baby. Isn't that crazy? It absolutely changes. It absolutely changes from, from the inside. That's a God thing. You know, when he's young, he doesn't have a family, he needs that testosterone to establish himself, to, to get his girl, to keep, you know, to meet life's challenges. And then this baby comes in. God's like, okay, time to tone it down a little bit. And now your focus is here. And I thought that was absolutely amazing. I had never heard that before. So let's talk for a few minutes about the benefits of having a dad. This is uh, kind of um, a little bit similar to the one I just read, but it's a different perspective. We're talking about how important it is for a dad to be involved with his young man, like up to three years of age. You know, I know a lot of men don't even know what to do with them until they can play ball, right? But as moms, we can encourage them and not try to keep them to ourselves. You know, we can be guilty of protecting that baby and not getting dad to mishandle it or whatever. He's not going to drop your baby. He loves your baby too. Right? That's his baby too. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to read too. Just, I'm just going to give you the idea of these things. But dad is so important that even his sperm matters. His diet matters before the child is born, what he's eating. Um, damaged sperm can cause trouble, can cause trouble in an infant. A dad matters. For an infant who's born prematurely, a dad who visits that child frequently in the hospital is more is going to be released earlier. He heals faster. From birth to first grade, the more interaction a boy has with his dad before six months, the higher his mental competence. And the first six months are really important for trust. The more contact infants have with their dads before six months of age, the greater their ability to trust others. First two years for positive behavior. When dad has positive contact with his children during the first two years, the children have fewer signs of uncontrolled and unwanted behavior. Dad also matters for regulating aggression and for psychological health. We think it's all about mom. It's really not. So I, uh, what, so here's some things that dad does differently. And it's, you know, this is, Take it with a grain of salt. It may be different in your family. We find often that, you know, opposites attract and the guy will have a stronger this or that in the moment and it'll switch up a little bit. But as in general, 
Dads are much better at enforcing boundaries. I know that was true in our home. I would be much more concerned with someone's feelings than with making sure that the boundaries were consistent. But here's the deal. When a child has negotiable boundaries, it creates a manipulative kid. So if they know that you've set the boundary and you're not going to keep it, then you're in trouble. Or if dad sets the boundary and mom lets them slip through it, it also creates a manipulative kid. So it's really important, ladies, that you back your husband. If you don't agree, do it in private. And it's better to, to agree on something than to disagree in front of the kid. But there's that checks and balances. We need each other. We need each other. I wanted to read you this because I heard myself in this. This is really a... <clears throat> so this is talking about roughhousing. How many of you love roughhousing? <laughs> I hate roughhousing. But I wish I had read this many years ago. Because roughhousing, turns out, is very, very important. And just see if you see hear yourself in this little scenario. So Dad and Alex are wrestling. They're play wrestling. And Dad typically lets Alex win at the last second. But this time, Dad feels Alex isn't, isn't giving it his all, so he doesn't. Alex starts crying. Dad teases Alex about being a bad loser. And after about a minute of letting Alex pout, he playfully turns him upside down, after which Alex is back in the saddle. <laughs> now, during that minute, though, Alex's mom is thinking, I could have predicted this would end up with Alex's tears. Mom is angry at herself, feeling guilty for not fulfilling her responsibility of proactively protecting Alex. Still feeling that guilt, mom watches as dad continues the same roughhousing, even after Alex has cried, after dad should have learned his lesson. Gosh, I can see it. I can remember it. Moreover, she is dismayed. The roughhousing is continuing as if, as if nothing happened, barely acknowledging Alex's tears, being more dismissive than nurturing. So this triggers mom's second maternal emotion, a fierce resolve to not repeat the earlier mistake of allowing her child to get hurt. However, since she knows Alex loves and needs his father, she represses the impulse to stop the roughhousing outright and bends over backward to give dad a second chance. She shares with dad how and where she believes it's safe, you can play here, for him to go house and how not to go too far. While mom is feeling pride for having supported, even improved dad's parenting, dad experiences a different feeling. But dad rarely says this. Moms can't hear it. But in, in this context, dad is glad the kid cried. Because it's a healthy cry, and it's a way for him to teach the child that we all lose, and that we cry, and then we get over So there's major lessons being taught here. Alex's dad feels crying, some crying can be healthy. So you can see the difference between men and women in this thing. She says, I'm bending over backwards. And he says, I'm being snuffed out. He knows what he's doing. He loves that child. And he's doing his best to teach him. And so many times we undo what dad's trying to do. So I absolutely love that. Another thing that uh, that, that roughhousing does is it teaches boundaries. Like you don't, you know, it's not okay to kick in the face or crotch or you know, these things are not okay. 
So the child's going to carry that forward with the boys, and he's obviously going to run next, right? So he's going to know the rules. And do you, do you just absolutely hate it when dad decides to rough house a bed? I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm never giving this kid in bed. But when dad says, we're done, it teaches the kid to turn it on. That is a great lesson. It may not happen the first time. They may have to practice that some, but a man will know you know how to turn it off. And when he gets wound up and excited and um, engaged, turn it off. So that was another good lesson that this learned. I gave me a completely different perspective. And kids who roughhouse with their dad are less likely to bully or be bullied because they understand the rules of engagement. A dad, number two, so roughhousing is one thing he does different. Another thing he does different is he challenges the limits. Like, and he usually makes it into a game. Oh, you know, you ran around that, that track in 12 seconds. Let's see if you can do it in 10. He's always wanting to do better. It's a challenge, and he loves to put it in the form of a game. And then when they're playing games, he may let them win, maybe not. Some dads don't let little kids win. But um, if a dad sees a kid's not trying, he's not going to let him win. So he's always trying to, to teach life lessons, even though it looks like playing. So I would discourage you from ever saying to your husband or anyone else about your husband that you are raising, you know, you have two boys, but I'm raising three because my husband's. That's disrespectful. So roughhousing, challenging limits, and then um, he teaches the kids to explore. And in that exploration, he teaches them risk with boundaries. I know not everybody's an outside guy, but my husband always loved taking the kids out, on um, you know, sharing the desert with them, um, sharing a, a back road with them. Um, took our grandson for his first one hunt this week. That was like heaven on earth. But teaching the kids to get out and explore. Not everybody has that, but whatever your husband wants to share with the kids, to explore new things, let them share, let them explore. He wants them to try new things. This was a hard one, too, about teasing. Uh, apparently, teasing is a man, right of man passage kind of thing. So if you are teased as a man and you are defensive, you're a lot less likely to be received well by other men than if you are teased and you're able to laugh at yourself. And so dads tend to tease their kids. They want to know the rules of engagement for teasing. You're going to be teased, and this is how you react. So they can, they, can, they can tease kind of hard. And dad feels like he's inoculating them for the future. He's like, teach them how to play the game. And mom just wants to protect them for like right now. Don't want to be hurt, you know. But they teach them how to laugh at themselves. Okay, now, I'm on the paper. <coughs> okay, so let's talk about what can we do in our homes? Right to to support our husbands and our and our boys, and I think it really really starts with how we treat our husbands. Okay. Um, did you know that Dad can feel unappreciated? 
did you know that sometimes he really regrets having to go to work full time and then mom gets to stay home with the kids? I mean, we can see it as drudgery, but he's like, yeah, I go to work and you get to stay with the kids. Well. You know, they, they really do miss the time with the children. Think about the way our society is set up right now. For the most part, men go to work full time and women have a choice. They can stay home. They can work full time. They can work part time. The dad really has this one role, and that is to work full time. And he works to accommodate so that mom can. So it's really, really important as moms that we're thankful. Well, he's supposed to work, yeah, maybe. But we need to be thankful and appreciate what he does. Don't take him for granted. Did you? I mean, we've talked about this, but a man's biggest fear is a fear of failure. So he's going out the door. He's working full time. He's wondering, can I support this family? You know, can I, can I keep my job? Am I good enough? It's, it's a huge, huge responsibility to have a family and to have to pay the bills. And mom often works in house too. And the way our society is going, some women actually make more than their husbands. But ultimately, before God, that's His responsibility. And he has a fear of failure. That's his biggest fear. So as moms, we just really need to be appreciative. Build him up. Let him know the good things you see about him. And we can work to create a better marriage. Ladies. For one thing, we never say the divorce word. Never say the demon. Once you say that, it opens the door. It opens the thought process. It opens the threat. No, I'm here. I love you. I'm going to be here. I'm going to bring this together. I need to understand authority as mom. I need to submit to my own husband. That doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. A smart guy will listen to his lady. Right? But he, we communicate in a way that he can trust us if we want him to listen. And that trust that comes from being respectful in what we say, not accusing. We don't say you never or you always. You know, we say things like, have you thought about, or could we do it this way, or what do you think about this? Have you thought about that? And things that make perfect sense to us, he might think, whoa, that's like way out there. And that's okay. You know, maybe it'll come back around, you can try again. Try to understand how he relates. We just did that this morning. He relates differently with our children than we do. Here's a big one. Be content with what we have. There are an awful lot of women, ladies, who are not happy with their home, their clothes, you know, their status in life, their husband's job, their children's school. Always pushing, always complaining. Listen to what comes out of your mouth. Listen, think about how he might take that. We're, we, last week's lesson was on being content. If you need help being content, go back and listen to the lesson. And then teach our kids to be content and happy. By example first, and then by just teaching them. You know, take care of what dad's got, that has given us. You know, take care of your things. If you want something more, you can work. You know, teach them to make the money to make their money too if you want them. Work around his schedule. Make sure that when he's around, you're around. You know, don't make him come home to an empty house all the time. 
I do know when kids are teenagers, life is absolutely crazy. But to the best of your ability, be there when he's let him know you value him. Embrace his masculine behavior. You know, even smile at it. It's okay. You should see what my husband wears in <laughs> I would love to polish him up in the evening, but the evening attire, as he calls it, as a pair of LSU shorts that are probably 15 years old. And three sizes too big. And three sizes too big. And they're purple and gold, and then he's got a rush shirt he wears. You know, but it makes me smile. Because <laughs> that's his masculine behavior, because he just doesn't care. He just wants to be comfortable. All right. And this is a really important one, especially for new mamas. Um, don't let your bucket be filled up, your love bucket be filled up by your children. Children are exhausting, for one thing, but they also, there's just this fulfillment you get from having a young baby and from nursing and from, you have a lot of physical contact. And it can be a woman's tendency to push dad out physically during the time when the children are little. So, um, you know, if you have a regular birth, by six to eight weeks, you should be ready to go again. You know, I, I know women who've held out sex for a year after having a child. There's no reason for that. There's no excuse for that. And you're asking an awful lot of your man. You got everything hanging out. Everything is kind of nice and plump, you know, and you're like, no, don't want you. Don't want you tonight. I'm too tired. So do what it takes to make room for your guy in your heart and in your bed. You know, if that means taking a nap, if that means letting, uh, taking a kid over to grandma's, don't hold on so tight to those children that you don't have room for dinner. It is so important. And that was one of Naomi's biggest things she taught me. And um, unless you said we should thank Naomi. So we do. Um, here's, here's a quote that hurt my heart. So the man who wrote this book, he's really big into men's groups. And he has set up thousands of men's groups, meaning you have like men in like places, maybe different ages or wherever they can really speak honestly without a woman's input. And um, in one of these groups, this dad said, this was brutally honest and it hurt. He said, sometimes I feel like I'm working harder. Now he's just had a baby, right? Or children. Dad, he said, I feel like I'm working harder so that my wife can have a new lover that I'm paying for. He felt that shut out. Just think about it, ladies. I know that's kind of, that's, that's harsh, but if she, if that wife hadn't let him back in, if she was so preoccupied with that child, oh, hey, honey, you know, he comes home and she's, she's been too wrapped up with the child to do anything. And there are seasons in life where life might be kind of like that. But your husband will know if it's genuine or if you've just found another love, <laughs> right? So work hard to be with your guy. Respect his, his need to be loved physically. Uh, respect his need to conquer and have goals. You know, my guy is forever setting goals that wears me out. I'm like, do you have to do that? And you know what? Yeah, he does. He has to set goals and prove to himself that he can accomplish them. It's just the way he's wired. And then he also talks about how important the family dinner is. And we don't live a life right now where we can have a seven nights a week kind of family dinner, but 
They actually say one or two nights a week is sufficient. A night where everybody comes together, sits at the table, and learns how to engage in conversation. And so they had a couple rules. Well, that was dinner. So once or twice a week. This one's a no-brainer. No electronics or TV. So no phones at the table and no TV at the table. Rotation of the monitor, meaning each person gets a turn to lead the conversation. And they might choose the topic or there might be a choice of topic for that person. They're okay, don't worry. Little baby crying is <laughs> all. Um, and this is this one I liked. Uh, so everybody, you sit at the table and everybody gets to check in. Like what's what's on your mind this week? What you have your week like in your time? You have three minutes or whatever minutes you decide as a family, but not to let someone dominate so everyone knows they're gonna have their chance to be heard. And when they tell a story, nobody gets to comment. We're not gonna judge each other. It's just your chance, your, your three minutes of fame to say what's on your mind and then just let people know where you're at. So I thought that was a really good one too. Joey found this quote for me this morning. It says, small boys become big men through the influence of big men who care about small boys. Should I can read that to you again? I will send it back. Small boys become big men through the influence of big men who are who care about small boys. And my uh, desire is not to paint a Pollyanna picture. I actually have one more thing I wanted to cover with you. You know, divorce does happen. And maybe you're in that situation. But if you're at all contemplating it and you have children, it should be enough to help you think twice. So they talk about the fact that if you if that happens in your family, the parents divorce, what needs to happen for those children to stay somewhat intact? And that is equal time with mom and with dad. That is proximity, meaning you buy a house next to each other, close to each other, so the kids can go back and forth equal time. That you both go to counseling together and the family goes to counseling together. And that there's no bad news. So if you I, I know a family that's close to ours, they had six children. But now they have, I guess they started with three, then the, the divorce thing blew it up to six. Do you know how much work that is? And now you're not just talking about trying to have mom and dad agree on things. Mom and dad need to get remarried. So you have two sets of parents, two different standards, different bedtimes, different priorities, different belief systems, plus how many more sets of grandparents? I mean, it's, and then to expect the child to feel secure. So divorce is a very hard thing not to be taken lightly. We actually don't, Ever tell anyone to get divorced? We, if you have, we try to counsel. We counsel one on one the women, and if you have deeper problems, we we have resources for you both as a couple. We only have you guys, so we only get one side of the story, right? But we, there have been so many marriages that we have seen healed by understanding the differences between men and women, understanding what love really is. And um, so if you know anybody struggling or you are struggling, you know, please see one of the leaders and let us let us love on you and encourage you. 
Um, I, I did want to make this one point. This is really interesting to me. So I said no bad mouthing, right? Naomi always taught us that too. You don't you talk bad about the other spouse. You know, you say as good a thing as, as are possible to say. I realize there are some situations where that doesn't happen. For the most part, women are five times more likely to bad math the ex-husband than the men are to bad math. And what that does to a child, and, and the woman says things like, you know, he's unreliable, he's narcissistic, he's incompetent, he's purposely unavailable. So now the man's trying to support two households with two children, um, two sets of children. But she just generally sparks, speaks poorly of the dad, and the child feels abandoned. So our mouths are so important. We're to speak well of the children's father, especially these. <laughs> and as much as we can. So if you have a friend and she's bad now than her husband in front of the kids, just pull her aside and let her know what that does to a child. Let her know how important it is that she takes the high road. Okay. I have a little prayer. Let's see if I can. I have to give my little grandson something. No, he's a big grandson. Something special for sending me all my notes this morning. <clears throat> okay, that's all right. Um, well, if you don't want to just look in, in closing, let's bow our heads and I'll read this to us, okay? It's, a, it's actually a Father's Day prayer, but I thought it was appropriate for today. Dear God, we thank you for the gift of dads in this life. We thank you that you are the greatest dad ever, Abba. And we know that you cover us in your great love. We pray for your blessing, favor, and strength over every dad in this world. For those who are seeking to walk closely with you in the dark world, and for those who just need to be reminded that you are real. We ask for your renewal, I'm sorry, for your renewed courage, for your boldness, for your spirit to fill them. Make them always aware and alert of the schemes of the, of the enemy. We ask that you would keep their footsteps steps firm and guard their way. We ask that you would help them to always stand strong, to be men of faith, to say no to what is wrong and to say yes to what is right. We ask that you would fill their hearts with love, compassion, joy, faithfulness, and cover their lives with great peace. Lord, we pray that you would praise up, raise up mighty men, godly men in this generation, those who would know and honor you with their entire lives. We pray that they would stand firm in the faith, walk wisely, and follow hard after you. May they grow in their love and passion for you, for their families, and the calling to follow you above all else. Thank you for dads who fight for their families, who do battle in prayer over them. Thank you, God, that your word is true. We hold fast to you today. We choose to immerse our lives in your faith. I'm sorry, in your truth. We know that you are with us always and cover us in your power and strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, well, here we are. And Dee's not here, and I didn't pick a nail.